Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. It's that time again. We are here. Another week has passed. Last week, we talked about fear of being on the phone. We are back again. Hopefully, you are here to learn to earn. Today, we're going to talk about, about the numbers always lie. Now, you hear, and I've even said this, well, the numbers never lie, folks. The numbers never lie. And here's the the scary fact that I'm coming to realize the numbers absolutely can lie. And in a previous episode, we talked about how sometimes we're given inaccurate information when we're doing our due diligence. We've, we've beat that to death. We get that. So we know going in to every particular deal, the numbers we're given are wrong. We have to verify them. I get that. That's what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about a different way that the numbers lie that has nothing to do really with the due diligence that we are provided. We're talking about the money that we lose in our heads, the numbers that when we lie to ourselves, we actually, in essence, force those numbers to lie. So you've probably heard that saying that numbers never lie, correct? Well, what happens? I'm asking this. What happens when the numbers actually do lie? Have you ever wondered how people can buy a particular property for an amount far over what you feel the market value should be. Okay, that's the topic we're going to talk about this week. I've lately seen all kinds of properties going sold, looking on the MLS, looking on Zillow, looking on Craigslist. I've heard people talking about properties at real estate meetings and all this, and I'm thinking, wow, somebody bought that. Huh, wonder what they got it for, because my knee-jerk reaction is, well, they must have done a better job of negotiating than me, because I put offers in on that, and I got shot down. What I realized is, no, simply people just got into, actually got into a bidding war and they grossly overpaid, grossly overpaid. So I ask myself, how the heck does that happen? What goes on in people's heads that makes that happen? Well, it's, I think a lot of it starts with your surroundings, what you believe to be fact, even though it actually may be fiction. And we're going to start with the hot market. Well, what does that really mean? Okay, a hot market. A lot of people have different definitions of what that means. Some people think there's a shortage of inventory. Some people think there's lots of inventory, but it's easy to get money. Therefore, lots of people out there. I got to tell you, the whole hot market thing, I believe it's a fallacy. I don't believe it to be that to be an accurate representation. Number one, um, the market's an intangible. Okay, it's it's a thing. It's something that's in your head. It's a vision. How can you apply a temperature to it? You really can't say it's a hot market. Okay. I also hear it's a seller's market. 
every time I hear that, I hear it's a seller's market, or I hear the market is hot, I cringe. I truly believe that this type of thought process is a limiting belief. And some of you listening to this going, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. My market is crazy. There's nothing for sale. Everything's going for twice full price. The market's going to crash, blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. All that may be, may be so. And I get that that's what you want to believe. I totally understand that. But I also believe, number one, I, that you're not writing enough offers. I can tell you that right now. If you think that you are actually in a seller's market, I believe that you are not writing enough offers. And I also believe that you're not taking the time to figure out what the seller's needs are. Why are they selling? When you, If you are writing enough offers, let's say that you are writing 50 offers a week. Now, if I doubt that there are probably more than a handful of people, and I've got a listenership over 200,000 now. So 200,000 of you, I would say maybe 1% of you write more than 10 offers a week. 1%. Okay, that's a small number. I really, truly believe that opportunity is everywhere. But here's the thing. If you don't get out there, if you sit back and armchair quarterback this thing, if you sit back there and go, you know, my broker says this, it cracks me up. Zillow's going to steal my business. Real estate agents crying and complaining that there's not enough business for everybody. Oh, I'm going to the real estate convention instead. Listen, guys, there's no business at the real estate convention. There's a bunch of sharks there. They're looking for reasons to take real estate agents money that they don't have, which really means take their credit cards. I digress. I don't want to hear you say it's a seller's market. The market's hot. I don't want to hear you say that. What I want you to do instead is tell yourself that if you think that the market, there may be a shortage of inventory, that just means you have to work a little bit harder. Heavens to Betsy. You have to work a little bit harder to find opportunities that make sense and that you're not going to be able to run out in the first week of looking and write two offers and get one accepted because if that happens, chances are you probably overpaid that I can tell you, you probably overpaid in my market here in the Tampa Bay market. It's reasonable to uh, it take good, depending on the size of the deal. Let's look at multifamily for a second. If you're looking at medium, small to medium sized multifamily, it could take months to find what I would define as a good deal. Now, my idea of a good deal may not be your idea of a good deal. However, regardless of what your decision is on what a good deal is, it may take months for you to find that, and that's okay. Because realistically, you should be looking at 100 properties and writing offers on, say, 10 to 20 of those properties. And out of those, you might get one or two offers accepted, and then you have to get through due diligence and inspections. And I know all you guys driving the Lamborghini or watching those guys that are driving the Lamborghinis and they have their own private jet taking down, you know, I'm doing 50 deals a day. No, you're not. No, you're not. And if you are, <laughs> you're grossly overpaying or you're over leveraged one or the other. And people are like, well, What's the difference between overpaying and over leverage? Over leverage means you got so much debt, mortgage debt, that you have no equity in any of your properties. That if somebody sneezes and one tenant decides to leave early or doesn't pay the bill, you're in trouble. You're going to, to foreclosure court. Okay. But here's the thing 
The opportunity is everywhere, but you've got to focus on finding problems. And then when you find them, you've got to solve them, folks. You can't just say, okay, there's a problem. That guy is going to lose his house to probate. That's a problem. Okay? you you got to be able to go further. Here's an example of this. Lately in my market, a uh, young couple, young kids, three of them, two, one brother, two sisters, <clears throat> their mom passed away. And this is going back several years. And the one brother moved out of state and the two sisters are here locally. And the one sister lived at the house. And the house needed a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work. Realistically, it was an absolute train wreck. It, the house wasn't even worth the dirt it's sitting on. The house pretty much needs to come down and get knocked down. But it's in a great neighborhood. And if somebody's willing to put a good deal of money into it, I mean a lot of money into it, it could eventually be a nice house. But it's going to take a lot of money, a lot of ingenuity, a lot of creativity, and a lot of experience to make this into a great piece of property. It's in a good neighborhood, but oh my goodness, the house needs everything. So normally people would have passed that up. That property could have gone on the MLS. Somebody may or may not have bought it. Who knows? Because this one's one of those ones that you walk in there would just scare the heck out of you. Regardless, one of my buyers, then I found this thing and I went to talk to the sellers and I was able to put a deal together that was a win-win for everybody. In other words, the three siblings were able to, number one, reunite, thank goodness, over this property. They started rekindling their their family a little bit, putting their family back together because their mom had died and all that. Father, I believe, was estranged. So that was a good thing because we were able to, to bring them back together so they could get through the situation and, and move on to the next chapter of their life. We were able to give these kids some cash, a good amount of cash, actually, that to help restart their life, to get their life on the right track, okay, to help them get pointed in the right direction because they're all in their 20s. And although one of them or two of them is doing good, the other one maybe isn't doing so good. And, and she needed some extra help and some guidance to, to get going. And handling her five figures in a check at least provides her some opportunities that hopefully she will capitalize on. So you see, in that situation, there's a property that was not for sale. It was not on Zillow. It was not advertised anywhere. And in a quote-unquote hot seller's market, we were able to go in and buy the property, far exceed the expectations of the buyer, or of the seller, rather. The buyer happens to be a good client of mine that's bought several houses through me. And she's one of these people that likes to give back to the community, but she's very savvy in what she does now because she's good at what she does. And because she has a big team of contractors and, and vendors and whatnot, she's able to add value to this property and do a good job of helping out the community at the same time. So she creates a win-win, you see. Now, what she's done is because she understands how to bring value to the marketplace. She comes to somebody like me and says, Tyler, I need you to find me property. Here's my buying, my buying criteria. Ready, set, go. And then I go around and I'm looking for opportunity. And when opportunity presents itself, I know exactly what her criteria is so that I can pull the trigger. Now, we got a good deal for her. Okay, a good deal for her. She's quite happy with the deal. And we got a good deal for the seller. That's called a win-win. The seller got 
frankly, in my opinion, they probably got even a little bit more than what the house is, is quote unquote worth. But the reason that was able to happen is I put an experienced buyer, an experienced rehabber with them. So the experienced person doesn't need to spend as much money to get the same result as the new person. The new person would probably wind up over improving the property. They'd lose everything and, and off we go. So you see how there's a hot market. We got a property that's not advertised. It was a referral, someone in the community that knows that I solve problems, not necessarily that I buy property. You see the difference there. I buy multifamily property, but this person came to me because I'm known as somebody who solves, has the ability to work through problems and solve problems. Now, they didn't come to me because I have deep pockets or because I have a big team or because I have a podcast or any other reason. They came to me because they know that I have the ability to solve problems because I have the patience to see through issues and work to solutions. That's the difference. You see, when I do that, when you position yourself in the marketplace, then you can make deals work. And it comes back to the numbers always lie to an, to a newbie investor. They wouldn't begin to know what they could do with this property. Cause let me tell you, it's a train wreck. If the city ever got inside this property, they'd probably require it to be tore down. Now, what you are hearing a lot of is the media. You're hearing it from realtors. You're hearing it from sellers and you're hearing it from your fellow investors, your buyers that lack problem solving skills. They don't have problem solving skills or they share in these beliefs that there's such a thing as the seller's, seller's market. So you start commiserating with each other and going, man, you got anything? No, I got nothing. I got nothing either, man. I've been out there trying to wholesale so I can, I'm going to wholesale my way to rehab and then I'm going to rehab my way to buy and hold. The guys don't fall trapped for that. That's never going to work. Y'all know that I've said that before, but what happens is a bunch of people get together negative Nancy's get together and start yammering on about how it's a hot market and there are no deals, it's easier to sit around and commiserate with each other about how there are no deals than there are than it is to go out and actually get one for yourself. Go out and create one. Because here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, Larry Harbolt says this all the time. You can't go find a good deal. You got to go create a good deal. You have to make a good deal. And for that to happen, you've got to be able to solve problems. That means get off the MLS. Get off Zillow, Trulia, all these different websites. If it's for sale, it's too late in most cases. Instead, do some marketing. Shake some hands. Go to some local meetups in your area. Not real estate meetups, folks. Because here's what happens at real estate meetups a lot of times. Everybody shakes hands, blah, 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 blah. Some wholesalers out there giving you bogus numbers on a broken property that they've got $20,000 profit built into. Heavens to Betsy, what if you found your own opportunity? What if the numbers didn't have to lie? What if you were able to be direct with the seller and you were able to verify the information and because you finally pulled your head out of your you-know-what and you decided that you, weren't, you were not smart enough to realize that the whole flip-your-way-to-owning-rental-property thing is a big, fat lie, that you walked into a, the front door of a property and said, how can I keep this? And then 60 days later, you're collecting rent checks because everything that we talk about works. What would happen then? 
Wouldn't that be cool? Every time this lie comes out, that's better known as a hot market. Every single time I hear this, somebody, it's like every time a, a, a bell rings, an angel gets his wings, same thing. Every time somebody says hot market, some inexperienced investor overpays for property. I'm telling you folks, every single time somebody says hot market, somebody somewhere is getting fleeced on a property. They're buying some turnkey property that's a train wreck. Now, there's some good turnkey companies out there, and turnkey has a lot of value because a lot of the hard work is the risk is taken out of the equation because they're already rehabbed. So they've already found the oopsies. So provided you do good due diligence with the turnkey providers, and if and if the whole process is not something that, that you think you're going to be good at or you want to be involved in, nothing wrong with the turnkey opportunity. Because then everything, a lot of the risk, a lot of the unknowns have been taken out of the equation. So think about that. I'm going to have a turnkey provider. I found one that I believe is reputable or still, I'm still having the team vet them. But once we're done vetting them, I'm going to probably have them on the show because I've been looking for a while for a good turnkey provider that could come on the show and add value to you guys to help you guys take steps. Now, recently I did a survey, just a lot of you responded to. We got a good turnout. I appreciate it for that. We're starting our new group coaching uh program it's going to be a course and basically a group coaching setup and we're going to start the beta group here real soon and we got we listened to a lot of the results that you guys got and and that you gave us from that survey and what a lot of you said is you had to you're trying to figure out how to get a deal which means maybe you're listening and, and the fact that you're getting false information on a lot of these deals is starting to sink in you also a lot of you said that you're afraid of losing money well the first question i have for you is do you have any money and if you do, that's awesome. We will help you learn how to keep some of it in your pocket instead of worried about losing it. That's the purpose of our new coaching group. But more importantly, understanding that you, you can't lie to yourself. Now, when one of these new investors, and hopefully you're not going to be one of them, it overpays, I want to walk you through what, actually, what that actually looks like because there's more to it than just, oops, I overpaid or overimprove. Now, when we overpay for a property, many things happen as a result of this. Okay, first of all, you've made some bad decisions. It is what it is. But for starters, overpaying for a property often leads to self-esteem issues. Guys, I'm telling you, this is fact. You're going to feel bad about that when it sinks in. Now, maybe you're one of those pompous jerks that's just going to not believe that you overpaid. And, and you'll believe that you're a rock star all the way to bankruptcy. But for the rest of us, when you overpay, now, ladies and gentlemen, don't kid yourself. I have overpaid for a property in the past. Yes, I have. I have overpaid for a property. And I learned from it. So that's what allows me to be a, an authority on the subject because I've done it myself. I've gone through these emotions. I understand what it feels like. So I want you to go through the same process as well. <laughs> so here we go. When you realize that you overpaid, you, you feel silly, first of all. You get embarrassed, and then a little bit of desperation sets in. You're like, oh, God, how do I fix this? Well, I can't go back and unwind the deal. I can't sue the seller because that would be silly and not even practical in most cases. You know, you, you during this time, and this is why I want to discuss this, when you're in this period where you've realized that you've overpaid or you overimproved a property, 
you're feeling silly, you're feeling embarrassed, you feel that, that sense of desperation, this is the time where you're going to make your most monumental mistakes. So I beg you, please, don't panic. Okay, don't panic. Because anything can be solved over time. Sometimes it's worth just calling your losses and moving on. But don't panic because that's not going to help you. The overpaying investor often tries to make up this mistake on the back end. Okay, don't you can't make up for this. What that means, folks, is that you're cutting corners on maintenance. Maybe vendors start getting impacted because now you're looking at the vendors as a way for you to recover from the loss. And by vendors, I mean your contractors, your, your handyman, the yard guy, the plumber, the electrician, the property manager. It's not their fault that you overpaid. So let's not make it their fault. Let's not punish them for what you have done or failed to do. Let's, let's talk about the property manager for, for a second. You know, instead of paying their property manager a fair wage, for people often try to renegotiate this service. And folks, this is to understand that property management is a critical service. Frankly, I think if you're managing your own property, I, I think you're irresponsible. For, I, I'm just going to say it. Here's why. If you're trying to build your portfolio and you're truly trying to escape the rat race, I don't care if you're already out of the rat race. I don't care if you don't have a job. Maybe your spouse works and you don't, and you're home trying to do the real estate thing. Don't waste your time managing your own property. It's a time suck. It's not worth it. Your job is to go out and find more opportunity. Hire somebody else to do that task. And when you do, pay them. Pay them appropriately. We just brought a new manager on in here in Florida for some of our properties here in Florida and to help some of our clients out. Because, of course, we sell rental property. We provide uh, rental property that's both turnkey and not turnkey. We help them through the process of selecting the asset, finding the right property that meets their investor identity. We walk them through raising the capital for it or, or um, getting the lending in place, that type of thing. So we do this for customers. We've My wife and I are both licensed agents. We've got licensed agents that work with us. On our team, we got a large team of people. We source opportunities when we get great deals we get them under contract we help our clients find great deals on rental property that makes sense for them so i went out and found a manager that that makes sense okay because of the sheer volume of properties that we refer him to that he manages our stuff and our clients properties he offered us a discount and we appreciate that discount but we also rejected that discount it's absolutely correct. You heard me right. We rejected the discount. Why? Because I'd rather him not give the discount in exchange for top-notch service. And that's exactly what we did. I said, I appreciate the discount. I'm not going to take the discount. I want to charge. I want you to charge me this much, and I expect excellent service in, in regard. Because then if I don't have to think about that, ladies and gentlemen, if I don't have to take the brain power to think about the management piece, how much? how many more deals can I go do? How much more of my job, what I'm good at, can I do? Okay? Think about your other service providers. Now, when we overpay, we often start thinking twice about things such as hiring licensed and insured professionals to perform services on our properties. We begin second-guessing the use of a licensed electrician versus a licensed one. 
you know, if you're thinking about hiring an unlicensed person, especially with electric, electrical or plumbing, think again. Don't second guess an unlicensed versus a licensed person. When we start thinking about a handyman to do some of our plumbing and our air conditioning work. There's a reason why plumbers have a license. There's a reason why AC people have a license. When these thoughts enter your head, understand that you are heading for financial trouble. You are making the numbers lie. The numbers lie because it's your fault. If you start going down the slippery slope, once you start sliding down this slope, there is no hope. This is where you're going to wind up in foreclosure court and I'm going to wind up buying your property from you some point down the road at a significant discount. And we wouldn't not want that to happen, would we? So don't do that. Omission of cost, to wrap it up here, omission of cost is something that, unfortunately, I hear a lot about. Ladies and gentlemen, when we ignore the simple math involved in a real estate investment, we essentially are saying that we're okay with losing money. Many investors are so focused on getting a deal that they operate like they got blinders on. I don't understand that. I got to get a deal. I got to get a deal. Oh my goodness. What if I don't get a deal? The careless investors begin leaving off the cost of property management, repairs, utilities. And they often guess. I can't believe how many times people guess at the cost of insurance. Pick up the phone. Call the insurance company. That's too much hassle. I don't have 30 minutes to waste in my life. Well, if you don't have 30 minutes to get on the phone with an insurance person, then you should reconsider your priorities. Maybe you're that knucklehead that's managing your own property because you're the smartest person in the room. Yes, I'm talking to you. That's correct. You, you're the smartest person in the room and you think you're going to self-manage. You're a fool. Okay, you're a fool. That's exactly what you are. You're a fool. I've been that fool. Don't be a fool. Hire somebody else. Hire licensed professionals to deal with the problems that happen at your property. Okay? Lastly, don't get all caught up focusing on the number of units that you acquire. I have too many people that say this. I'm looking to buy 100 units. They send out this. actually put this out in direct mail. Dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm looking to buy 100 units this year. Really? Well, first of all, most people that get that piece of direct mail know you're full of crap. Fact. They know you're lying. They know you're trying to sound like you're somebody that you're not. So how about you focus on getting one good deal? And then when you get that one good deal, then go get you another one. How about that? Don't care how many units it is. Don't care if it's one unit or 20. Just get one good deal. Okay, goals are sometimes overdone. People get so wrapped up in the goal and then they, they feel they, they crash like a train wreck when they don't achieve it. I can't believe I didn't get 500 units this year. How long have you been doing real estate? Um, about a week and a half. How many offers have you written? Um, I haven't written any yet. But as soon as I get through this next boot camp, people, come on. The careless investor starts leaving off the, off the cost of property management. Start leaving off the cost of repairs. Start leaving off the cost of utilities. Who does that? Why do you do that? Don't do that, please. Let's not forget, folks, when you get all caught up in units and see when you start omitting these things that you need to have on there, these expenses that you've got to have on there, 
when you leave those off, it doesn't matter if you got 200 units, you're going to lose your tail. That just means you're going to bankrupt. You're going to fall into bankruptcy worse. You're going to this time you're going to make the newspapers for being in bankruptcy because when you fail, you have to understand you are somebody that is a purveyor of property. You provide housing for other people. When you fail, those people fail. You have an impact on their family. That's not fair. You have a responsibility if you're going to be the Lord of the land to make sure that you charge fairly, that you collect for everything that is due, and that you make a profit. Because if you don't make a profit, you will fail these people. That's right. I'm actually saying the words. If you don't make a profit from these tenants, you will fail them. Don't fail them. It's not their fault that you are a moron. So do the math properly. Don't self-manage. Go find a good manager and you get back out there and focus on putting together great deals. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes one good deal, one great deal to get you out of the rat race. It doesn't take, or it shouldn't take, 100 units to get you out of the rat race. This is something that I, myself, lost sight of. Jill and I, my wife, bought the first fourplex. That fourplex got us out of the rat race. One fourplex bought with a VA mortgage, zero money down. You know why it got us out of the rat race? Because we didn't have any real bad debt. The only debt we had was good debt. We eliminated our monthly expenses with that one property. We got to live there for free and it paid us a profit. It's still paying us to this day. One deal got us out of the rat race. Just one deal. Now, we want to improve our lifestyle. We want to travel more and do more things, which is why we're still adding more and more properties every chance we get to our portfolio. This is why we also buy non-performing notes because non-performing notes is our way of flipping houses, so to speak. We buy non-performing notes. We make a significant return off of those non-performing notes. We reinvest those proper, those profits into building our portfolio. Actually, we reinvest that money right back into our bank account. And then we leverage other people's resources to help us build our portfolio. So we get to help. We get the pleasure of helping other people get rich. Because they come to us to invest their money for them. So we help other people get rich. And at the same time, help build our own wealth. That's called a win-win, ladies and gentlemen. That's a win-win. It does not take 100 units to escape the rat race, folks. That's all I got from you for you this week. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me. I look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great one. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.